The Buddha said that there are two kinds of beings that are remarkably rare in this world, two kinds of beings, those who are generous and those who feel gratitude. And tonight I'd like to put light on these two qualities of mind that are so simple that we often overlook or not give so much importance to in our practice because they can help us enormously in spiritual maturity by being intentionally conscious of developing them. Both of these are part of the goodnesses or the beautiful qualities that we can develop and that we are already part of our hearts. Generosity is one of the beautiful states of mind that is actually singled out one of the 26 beautiful states of mind or, uh, that are in the Abhidhamma. And gratitude is not actually singled out in those 26, but it really is a kind of wisdom. And so I'd like to talk about it here as the counterpart of generosity. It's often said that gratitude is a sign of spiritual maturity. And we can see here as we practice and as we practice through the years that the more we've practiced, the more a kind of genuine and organic uh, gratitude comes from our hearts. So it's true that gratitude is a sign of spiritual maturity spiritual awakening. In metta practice, we see how the Buddha advises us to reflect on or to remember the good. Because reflecting on the goodness is one of the causes and conditions for metta or loving kindness to arise. And metta is a foundation for wisdom to arise. So one thing supports another. The Buddha also said, cultivate the good. If I did not think you could do this, I would not ask you to. Cultivate the good. And so these two qualities are part of those goodnesses. So why do we cultivate the good? Because it makes our life in this world harmonious. It's It's just as simple as that. Sometimes it's confusing in this path, in the path of the Buddhist teachings, because people say, well, um, you know, a big part of the Buddhist teachings is understanding this non-self and uh, realizing that. And so why should I bring um, attention to these qualities? Doesn't it congeal a sense of self? Well, it makes our life in this world harmonious. And that carries into our deeper inner work so that when we sit on the cushion, we sit with a settled heart, a heart with less resentment, a heart of less uh, ill will, a heart with less regret. And that helps us enormously to open without too much struggle. And it's simply wise. It's just a wise thing to do. It really makes sense to take our attention and consciously, our attention and intention, and consciously develop this. I have a friend who is a meditator who's actually here. And um, she told me a story once that was just so simple, but it was an enormous teaching to me. And um, she told me that once she went to see her mentor and teacher, Mother Teresa, in um, Calcutta. And she hadn't expected to go back to see her. And um, she thought her time of going back to India had been done with. And so when she went to see Mother Teresa, she told Mother Teresa how hard it was to return. And she actually didn't 
have a notion to return, but some force had drawn her and not knowing why. What Mother Teresa answered was what was so poignant to me. She said, Spiritual maturity is not waiting for things to feel right. We do things because we know they are right. And we can't wait to feel it come up. We can't wait to feel generosity or to feel gratitude. It's important sometimes to turn our intention and attention into consciously developing them and consciously knowing when they're present also. So gratitude, when I think about gratitude, it's like the opening, receiving part of that play of the gratitude and generosity. It gives us the ability to receive. And why is that so important? Because ultimately, receiving the moment just as it is, is part of our liberation, is a deep part of our liberation, receiving the moment just as it is. Gratitude has a lot to do with contentment, having a settled heart, not needing anything more, not needing to grasp and go look for more to fill our minds or fill our material world. There wasn't so much said that I'm aware of in the text about gratitude, so I'll just intertwine it in in this talk with my own experience. Generosity cultivates the opposite of attachment, so this is why generosity is so important. The cultivation of generosity ultimately leads to non-attachment, to the non-clinging mind, to letting go. And just in a nutshell, both of these qualities help us experientially to experientially understand our deep interconnectedness with all of life on a very impersonal level to really understand this as no separate self, our being in this world, as not separate from anything else. No separate self is the same as no self. And we begin to deeply understand that through the practice of generosity and gratitude. There's a saying by Achan Shah that really speaks to this that I came across. He said, if you don't understand no self, you can understand it through no selfishness. <laughs> so I'd like to talk first about generosity, but specifically in terms of giving to ourselves, giving this time of practice to ourselves, because for many of us it's harder to give to ourselves than it is to give to others. And I'd like to speak about gratitude in terms of allowing ourselves to receive that gift of being here, of really receiving all that can come from our practice here. We all know how the feelings of unworthiness and inadequacy kind of plague us, haunt us. They come up a lot in our practice. And for Westerners, from what I hear in my teaching um, and sharing with others, I could say it would be the sixth hindrance, you know, just a feeling of inadequacy, of unworthiness, of not feeling good enough. Many times the bell would ring, you know, to wake up in the morning, and I immediately would think that I did something wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's that so, it's just so deep, you know, and unconscious in us. So during this, during this time, I, I mentioned to you the other day that um, in the first part of this retreat, I was sitting, and a yogi, just like all of you, it was, it was really wonderful. I could have gone on, but 
my karma called me to be here. <laughs> Somebody in the staff room said, when I told him that, he said, you've been demoted <laughs> to teacher. And I thought, that's true. <laughs> it was great to be a yogi. And um, during the time that I practiced, there were, and before that, when I, just before when I came in, there were some new passages that I had gone through in, in life. And they were pretty major for me. The, the first one, when I first came, I had just come from helping my number three daughter, who's 26 years old now, go through major surgery. She had um, her hip actually reformed. Uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a hip replacement. It was actual reforming of her hip, where they cracked her bone and they took bone from another part of her and put it on that part of her hip. And they have only done, I can't remember the number, but I know that it's less than 20, so I won't exaggerate, less than 20 of these operations in the West so far. So she took an enormous risk to do this, and she had to gather up a lot of courage to do this. And um, during the operation, which was successful, she lost like four liters of blood, which was a lot. And, you know, the doctor was, it it turned out okay, but really um, her blood pressure went down so low that we almost lost her. So it was, I had never gone through this in my life. I've had the good fortune of having four children that are, pretty healthy, and and no major stuff go on with them. So this was a pretty heavy passage in my life, and I was, um, you know, went up and down with it a lot. Um, And so I came here after having helped her go through that, through the operation in the hospital, helped her with some recovery, and came here. I was incredibly, excruciatingly exhausted when I came. It was, I, I couldn't even keep my head up when I sat, you know, but I thought, well, this is how it is. And I just had to give myself the time to recover from that. Um, and when I came here, I felt so cared for. And it was odd for me not to be doing something, you know, for somebody else. And those old feelings, like empty echoes, like old voices, were nevertheless there, that you don't deserve this. You know, how can I just sit here and have the food prepared and my laundry done and um, just wait for the bell? And it's so deep and so old. And so that was one of the um, opportunities for, for me to see that old, haunting those old echoes come up again. They're so deep. Another one of the passages that I went through during retreat um, on October 25th was that the last of my children, I have four, the oldest is 30 and the youngest is 18, and the last one turned 18 during the time I was here. And it was, she's the last one then out of the nest Uh, And so it put me through layers and layers of 30 years of struggle to raise those kids. You know, all the mistakes I made from birth to, uh, especially through their hormonal years. (laughs) And and then, you know, getting them through college, those, the the two who went through college. And... uh, of course, you know, I spent about three seconds remembering what good I did. <laughs> and the rest was all, you know, all the mistakes I made. And it was, it was hard to, you know, to look, to look through all of that. And through all that time, you know, of before and after her birthday going through, oh, this is the last one, and you know, what am I, what am I going to do now? There were moments of seeing how much my energy had gone out there to taking care of the kids and how little was used to really care for myself. 
And so it was kind of a passage for me, like, okay, now I can start taking care of myself. Well, I'm, I can start this process, really, of taking care of myself while I'm here, believe it or not. I mean, um, just because you're a Dharma teacher doesn't mean you're perfect. It's, you know, there's far from it. And there's so much that you see, so much more that you see. It, it brings you into having so much more respect for oneself. But in getting to that, you go through so much self-deprecation. So, so not used to caring for myself, a lack of confidence. And it just swallows up your energy so much, you know, this lack of confidence. So at one point I asked myself during when I was here, okay, what, what can I do? How can I care for myself in the best way here? And it came down to something as simple as the way that I can care for myself the most is to pay attention, is to be present, is to really let myself relax into the present moment. That's how I can care for myself most deeply. Being present is a way for caring for myself. It's the the most noble way of caring for myself, giving myself to the practice. That was the generosity, caring for myself and then giving myself to the practice in a gentle way, not in a rigorous, you know, I've got to be here every sitting and do every walking like a militant soldier, Um, but to, to be as balanced and gentle as I could with myself. And to come to the realization for the millionth time that no one's going to care for me like I can care for myself. It's a do-it-yourself job, this practice, and must do it for oneself. When we're really present, all of us, I'm sure, notice how nurturing it is. The, The energy... The, the nourishment that can come out from just relaxing in the present moment, allowing ourselves to melt into the present moment, is so wonderful when it really happens. I liken it a lot to, you know, when you fill a bathtub with, with hot water and, and you put some nice oil in it for, for me, and it's really nice to just kind of get in the bath and you, you get in the bathtub, and then there's that moment of just, ah, oh, when you just sink into the warmth of it. And that's what it is when you get into the present moment, when you let yourself just relax into that moment. It's warm, and it's nourishing, and it gives you a lot of energy, and it relaxes you, and it clears the mind, and so much happens. No, that's so just downright simple that you don't have to look in the Abhidhamma to figure it out. (laughs) There's a deep sense when you're present that things are okay. You know, there's a deep sense of contentment and peace that arises when one is present. And you can just be really happy, even if it's just for that moment. It's the best kind of caring that we can give ourselves. It's the best kind of generosity in the world. That contentment and peace is so immeasurably emptying and fulfilling at the same time. It's like a paradox. You know, the peace of feeling so completely empty and the contentment of feeling so full that you just don't need anything else in life at that moment. It's such a wonderful thing to give ourselves that gift of the present moment. So generosity, we can say, is a practice of emptying ourselves, of letting go, of melting into the present moment. We let go of things 
that we hold on to. And then we, in that moment, we're free of attachment. And when we can let go, we make space for the next present moment to arrive. Free of how we think it should be or want it to be. And then we begin to live our lives more and more from that kind of emptiness, which is a kind of wisdom. So it can nurture us with this gentle kind of energy that allows us to keep going then into the next moment and then the next moment. And the feelings of unworthiness or inadequacy begin to melt because everything's okay. You know, we, it, it's not just that the world is okay, that everything's okay, including ourselves. I wonder sometimes if we're so used to looking at the shadow side of our being because we live in this particular time and age and in this culture that we forget about remembering the goodness, that we forget about, you know, that side of ourselves, or we're afraid of it, I wonder, sometimes. And so every retreat I like to talk about taking the time to remember the goodness and picking out some things in a very simple way. This, um, what I'm going to read to you, really affected me a year ago. Because I've always felt so like, you know, how am I supposed to give the Dharma? (laughs) What am I supposed to offer? You know, I I don't feel very far much ahead of anybody else, really. (laughs) And um, this was said by Nelson Mandela, which later on he said he didn't say. So I don't know where it comes from, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. (laughs) Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous, Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, whatever that means to each one of us. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. And as we let our light shine, we consciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence actually liberates others. Such a powerful teaching and reminder to me. I had another teaching not long ago, just earlier in this year, about in June from my granddaughter, Shalia. She's the daughter of my eldest child. And... um, this was when she was about five years old. She's, she's just turned six. And um, she was graduating from kindergarten. And <laughs> she got two awards, two certificates. And the first one was for the best reader because she could read, thanks to her babysitter, who's a former teacher, um, she can read at the third grade level. And so... Of course, I'm really proud of her. And, <laughs> and she's only in kindergarten. And um, the second award or certificate she got was for being um, the most, having the most positive attitude. So I called her right after her graduation and, um, or that day when she got home. And I, and I said, Shalia, she said, oh, Nana, it's you. She calls me Nana. I said, oh, Shalia, I heard that you were, you got some awards. And, you know, I always want to help her realize her goodness. So I try to keep, you know, showing her what's good in her. And so I said, I saw it. I, I, I heard from your mama that you got some really good awards. And she said, that's right. And I 
<laughs> and I said, I hear you are a really good reader, and you got the award for best reader. And she said, I am. I am a good reader. <laughs> and I said, and I hear you got a really good attitude. And she said, I do, Nana. I have a good attitude. <laughs> I said, how did that happen? I said, you didn't get that from me because <laughs> how'd you get that? And she said, Nana, when you got it, you got it. <laughs> I said, you got it, huh? You got it. And she said, I do, I got it. So I, I was just laughing and I got on the phone with her mom and we were both laughing up a storm and then all of a sudden I heard her in the background she was yelling and she said mommy mommy tell Nana she said put the phone out so I guess my daughter put the phone out and she said Nana you got it too Nana <laughs> you got it too and then we kept talking and then uh, then I heard her shout out Nana Go, girl. <laughs> Go, girl. You got it, too. <laughs> she, I was trying to give her the teachings, but she gave them to me. I'll never forget that. And so when I, you know, kind of when I lose heart, I always remember her. You got it, too. Go, girl. <laughs> it releases a lot of energy when we don't have the self-deprecating feeling about ourselves. It that confidence that we get even just momentarily by just being in the present moment and feeling that contentment releases so much energy to be used for then in staying open to the next moment and then the next moment. And then we can begin to see the world like those eyes of a little girl or a little boy like those eyes of my granddaughter, fresh and awake, ready for the next moment. One time a retreatant who attended a retreat that we offer on Maui in August, the one-month retreat, said something to me that I'll never, never forget. She said to me on that retreat, and she was an older woman, um, in uh, kind of like a retired none in the Catholic tradition or a lay person that was uh, in the Catholic tradition. She said it was the first time in her grown-up years that she remembered or that she could relive that feeling of openness and trust that she had as a child. But this time it came with a lot more wisdom, a lot deeper wisdom. So she here now a grown-up to be having in moments of her practice that mind of a child, that ability to be with the moment just as it is, to receive, you know, from an empty place and to give from a place that feels really content and full. That she had this trust again that she had when she was a child, but with the wisdom of a non-clinging mind. So that's the important part of this, to be open like that, that we learn to do in practice, but with a non-clinging mind, without clinging to that moment. So then we're ready for the next one, fresh and alive again. It takes a constant commitment to do that to keep staying open and trusting in our moment-to-moment -moment experience, not filtering it through how we think we want it to be, how we think it should be, how it was before, how it might be in the future, the planning, what we already know, which is most of it not very useful. <laughs> it takes a lot of letting go of what you know to be in the present moment. It takes letting go of everything to be in the present moment. This is a poem by David White. It's called Tillico Lake. In this high place, it is as simple as this. 
Leave everything you know behind. Leave everything you know behind. Step forward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake, astonished. There in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. Leave everything you know behind. So talking a little more about um, generosity, just in a very traditional way, general generosity, practicing generosity with others. The Buddha himself always started any new practitioner by teaching the practice of generosity. All the other teachings springboard from there. And that um, practice of generosity ends in the deepest letting go. So it begins and ends. The spiritual path begins and ends with generosity. The Buddha said it is the beginning for those who wish to diminish the forces of suffering. It is the beginning practice for those who wish to diminish the forces of suffering. No spiritual life is possible without this quality. So for the Buddha to say that, it's really, we can look at it as the core of the practice. And also to remember that it is a practice, and all practices are challenging. We call it the practice of generosity, because we find out through practicing it where our karmic knots are, where it's hard to let go, where it's hard to see through. You know, it says that there are three trainings in this practice of the Buddhist path. The training of sila, or harmonious living, the training of concentration, and the training of wisdom. And the training of generosity comes within this training of harmonious living. And all of these trainings have hardships, have their ups and downs. That's why they're called trainings. It bumps us up against those areas of rigidity and those places where we're closed down. So it's a practice. We can't start out being totally open and generous. Part of the practice of generosity is allowing ourselves to open to those places where we're closed down. It's said that the practice of generosity embraces all the inner qualities for spiritual awakening. All the inner qualities. So I'll just, I'm just going to name a few that are uh, talked about in the, in the teachings of the Buddha. The first quality is love or um, non-hatred, the quality of metta, of unconditional love, of being able to offer our well wishes, our time, our energy, our uh, resources to others without expecting anything in return. That's what it means by unconditional. In Hawaii, in the Hawaiian language, there is the word aloha. And it means a lot of things, but one of the means hello and goodbye, and mostly it means love. And it's a combination of words, and one of the uh, kahunas there, or teachers there, told me once that in the deepest way, it really means generosity, because Aloha, ha means breath. And somehow those words, those uh, syllables mean, I give you my breath. I give you, what does a breath mean? The breath means your life. So it means I give you my life. That's a lot to give, you know. Aloha, I give you my life. And people greet each other that way. You know, you... When you meet somebody, you say, you, on, on one cheek you say, aloha, and then on the other cheek you say, aloha. And 
You feel that deeply. It's a natural expression of connecting with others, connecting our lives, you know, through generosity, through love. It's a natural way of realizing that without this kind of connection, you know, we, we really can't live because we rely on the kindness of others in order to be in this world. If you think of it, how did we get to this place in this very moment? How many moments of kindness and generosity were, were given to us in all of our life in order to be here from, you know, our parents? And I mean, I, I know many of us have had hardships with our parents, but also many moments of generosity and friends and et cetera, et cetera. And not only that, but others depend on our kindness. And so we realize both sides of that, how we, how we are able to live through the kindness, through generosity, and others live through that from us also. It's a harmonizing feeling. When we feel harmonious, our hearts are settled. There's this quality of diminishing the importance of the self, you know, when you're not Uh, when you're giving to others. It diminishes a sense of self. There's this kind of a joke or saying by Wu Wei Wu, something like that. Why are we so unhappy? And the answer is because uh, something about 99% of our lives is uh, directed towards ourselves, and there isn't one. <laughs> so we begin to realize through, you know, generosity that it's really no separate self. We're not separate from anyone else. You know, we're just in this big tapestry of life. When we see it that way, we're just part of that big tapestry. So there's this quality of letting go, which diminishes the importance of self. And that gives us, in a funny way, it gives us a tremendous stability in life. You know, to feel that we're part of this enormous tapestry. It gives us tremendous stability when we feel harmonious with others, when we feel that we're part of their kindness and our kindness they rely on too. It's said that the act of giving has benefits in our life. One of the benefits is, for people who give, others will love them. The other benefit is, we can enter any group without fear. So simple, but, you know, think how important it is to the harmony that we have in this world. And the third one is, we love ourselves. Probably the third one is more important, most important. It's said that the aim of generosity is twofold. The first aim of generosity is to free others of temporary suffering. When we offer our time, our energy, our material resources, in the laws of cause and effect, What this results in when we do that, when we give out that way, is it results in ease for ourselves or in wealth for ourselves, an ease of life, a wealth of life for ourselves when we give to others. So this is the first of the aims of the twofold aim. It's said that the Buddha the Buddha's acts of generosity were so powerful and so great that now, it's 2,500 years later, we are still reaping the benefits of his act of generosity of giving the Dharma. That that act of generosity in his 40 years of teaching is still palpable and still alive in our world today, benefiting the Sangha, us.
So just incredible. And within this um, first aim of the, uh, this act of generosity, it said that there are two uh, ways that generosity can be manifested. Prompted generosity and unprompted generosity. When someone prompts you and, or when it just comes naturally from you. And it said that the karmic forces that come from unprompted generosity, the momentum of wholesome force, the karmic forces, that momentum is very, very great in unprompted generosity. In prompted generosity, it's still great, but not as powerful as unprompted. But sometimes we have to start with unprompted generosity, you know, when we really don't want to give, but we try to do it anyway and see what happens, see what comes around that giving to reap the benefits of that, even just in the present moment of thinking about it. You know, when, when we think about when we have the intention to give, in the moment of thinking about it, a lot of lightness of mind comes. A lot of openness of mind comes. And we, um, even though it, it might be followed by, no, I won't give, I won't offer this, but still there are moments of lightness of mind, openness of mind. And that's very powerful. And so that comes with the intention before the act of giving. And then if we follow through with the act of giving, in the time of giving, there's a lot of happiness there. A lot of energy that can be released into our practice. And after giving, on the reflection that one has given, again a lot of happiness. A lot of feeling of the goodness of one's heart, which can serve one very deeply in the practice. So it says that, it is said that generosity is one of those things that is totally surrounded by happiness. The intention, the act, and the reflection of it. Very powerful. And so sometimes we have to prompt ourselves. I remember in um, knowing this, you know, the importance of this, and um, knowing also you know, it, it said that happiness, which develops from giving, um, is a cause and condition for concentration to arise, which affects our, how we are, opening to the deepest part of our being. And when I was um, being raised, my mother, who is Filipino, only went through, uh, had the education only up to fourth grade, but she was a tremendous model of generosity for me. And um, I feel I'm lucky to have, you know, a mother that I feel good about because it's hard these days. And um, so my mother would give all the time, even though we didn't have much to give when I was being raised. And sometimes we wouldn't have very much. We had a garden and we wouldn't have very much. So she would go into um, the closet where she would buy, we would buy rice in the 50 or 100 pound bag because that's, you know, we eat rice all the time. So she would give rice, give a little um, bag full of rice to whoever came. And she always would give. And one time I asked her, why do you always give, Mom? <laughs> you know, not, not that anything's wrong with it, but I see you always giving. And she said, because it makes me happy. <laughs> it's so simple. And you know, my mother has a naturally quiet mind. It, it, <laughs> I hate to say this because a lot of people don't have this experience, but it's nice to be around my mother because of that. <laughs> and she's a kind of a, you know, she's a happy person. Um, so trying to teach my daughter, the one who turned 18, about the benefits of giving, when she was four years old, um, she had accumulated a lot of teddy bears and a lot of toys. And so I suggested to her once, you know, trying to prompt her to give, I suggested to her once, why, why don't we 
um, give some of these things away because you have a lot and you can't fit them here anymore, you know. And she didn't want to. And she said, no, I love all my teddy bears and this and that. And she was just kind of holding on. So I said, you know, there's a lot of poor kids, honey, and they don't have stuff. They don't have all of this. You know, there are kids that don't even have one teddy bear. And look at your room. It's filled with teddy bears and toys and stuff like that. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go and give. And so um, I said, we'll go down to the Salvation Army and give your, your toys. And one of the important things about giving, I remember through my practice and through the teachings from Manindra and Upandita, is it's, it's actually really important, if you can, to be present, you know, when you give the gift and, and to see the happiness on the person's face and to see the, what comes of it and to really experience and be in that whole happiness of it. And to, there are several things which I won't go over. The teaching of generosity is vast in a way, but one of the things is where to give, you know, the purity of the gift, the purity of the giver, the purity of the receiver, all of that, and to be present there. And so anyway, she took her teddy bears and she had this little wheelie thing, like the, a little cart that you um, go shopping in, but a, a child's size. And she put, her, she put her things in it, and we went down to the Salvation Army, and she was just so excited about giving. You know, she, I told her all about the, kid, the poor kid she was going to give to and everything. And so she just so proudly, you know, opened the door and we went in and she rolled in and she looked around and, you know, she was looking all over the room and she said, she looked at me so dismayed and she said, Mom, where are all the poor kids? <laughs> She was thinking she was going to hand out each one of her dolls or teddy bears to them, but they weren't there. And, um, but at least she gave. At least she put them there. The second aim of uh, generosity is to free ourselves. And this happens when we give with wisdom, when we consciously give when we know the wisdom of giving. So when we practice generosity with a deeper wisdom, we understand through the laws of cause and effect that it diminishes the forces of attachment and it cultivates the opposite of attachment. That generosity is a movement of the heart to let go, to abandon, to relinquish, to open. The practice allows us to flourish, to let these things naturally flourish, letting go, opening, relinquishing, abandoning, and that eventually, ultimately, the practice of generosity results in liberation, results in freeing ourselves. So externally, it frees others but internally it frees ourselves. So there's this two-fold aim of generosity. So important. The Buddha said, if you knew, if you know as I do, the power of giving, you would not let a single meal pass without sharing some of it. In generosity, in a single moment of generosity, what do we give? What's happening? It says that in a single moment of generosity, a great part of our spiritual path is fulfilled. Because all four, just to name four, four of the Brahma-viharas or four of the divine emotions are cultivated in a single act of generosity, say in giving food, we feel goodwill towards others. This is loving kindness. In compassion, in the development of compassion, for example, when we give food, 
we allow that person or persons to be free from hunger, to be free from that kind of suffering, the suffering of hunger. We also rejoice, sympathetic joy being the third Brahma-vihara. We also rejoice in their happiness. We rejoice in their health, in their strength, in their clarity of mind that results from it. It also manifests as equanimity because in equanimity we're able to let go of what we hold on to. And it takes equanimity to do that, to be able to let go. So the practice of generosity has deep spiritual benefits. It diminishes the forces of attachment. It cultivates this mind of non-clinging, which is the first of the spiritual benefits. The second spiritual benefit is that it weakens a sense of self or self-centeredness and cultivates a sense of interconnectedness. Spoke about earlier. It also abandons the three root torments of the mind. Desire, clinging, or holding on. The first root torment of the mind. The second root torment of the mind is hatred. It abandons ill will, which separates us from life. It abandons delusion, because in that moment there is an openness, a lightness of mind. We're able to see clearly. So generosity has benefits in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of practice. It allows us to open to the spiritual life, to live harmoniously while we're in the spiritual life, and to eventually let go of everything, whether you see it as letting go at the time of physical death here in our lives, or the time of letting go into the deepest peace of Nibbana. So the part, the other part of that, the other rare and precious human being in this world is the one who is grateful, has to do with receiving. And so they come hand in hand. Um, When we can give to others, it also makes it easier to receive somehow. Because when you, when you give, you know, um, and you see, you know, the person receiving and you know the benefit that it has. When someone gives to you, you know how important it is for that person to complete that act so you receive. When someone gives you a kindness or asks for your forgiveness because they have had a change of heart or whatever, you know that it's so important for them to complete that act of generosity karmically for their spiritual welfare and their welfare as human beings, that you must receive it in order to complete that cycle. So being able to receive is important to others, you see, because it's important to yourself. So it brings a lot of goodness in our lives and a way that we can cultivate it is really simple, is to make an intention to know when it's present. It's like just as simple as that. The first way is to make an intention to know when gratitude or generosity are present. And not, especially here, you know, we don't always have to act on the generosity that we feel of giving to others. But just to know when it's, when it's present there, the feeling of wanting to give to others. Um, and then in our lives to consciously cultivate it, gratitude, generosity, in any way that we can. Gratitude, in its deepest way, makes us feel that we can accept this moment just as it is that this moment is enough. 
So it's pretty simple, really, and I wanted to take a full Dharma talk to just talk about good, the goodness that's already there, that it's wise to take energy and our time to ponder on, to reflect on, to notice, to cultivate. And when we do this, then happiness can be a foundation for concentration, for deeper practice to arise. And our lives can be surrounded with that, with that kind of beauty. I'm sure there are many moments of gratitude that each one of you have had. And when I was practicing, um, you know, just to feel gratitude for the simplicity of our life here, that the bell would ring and you'd know what to do most of the time, (laughs) although I had to look at the schedule a lot, Um, that there's a space to just practice. You know, that somebody followed through, people followed through on their generosity and intention over 20 years ago and the risk to buy this place. Such deep gratitude for that. Um, Joseph and Sharon and Jack and and the staff who worked here, Stephen and Michelle and Steve Armstrong and, you know, many people I can't mention all, but those you know here that are serving. Just to hear the whooshing of the wind in the trees without a lot of content in the mind sometimes, you know, to be able to do that for the Buddha, the teachings that have come on through the ages this long for the Dhamma, for the Sangha, for everyone here, um, for the path that I walked on, I, that path and that, you know, meadow there, I did, I think, um, about three walking periods of um, metta, just metta on the path that I walked on a lot to give metta to all the animals and the devas. I felt so grateful to walk on that path and, you know, to sit here and to be with you. So I better not go on, I could cry. (laughs) I'm just naming a few to help, you know, encourage that this is good to do um, for support, you know, for the little... um, chocolates that I got on my pad, my sitting cushion, and um, for drinks that I got in, my, in the refrigerator. <laughs> and um, for Steve, who sent me, just at the right time, one sentence to keep me going on a note, you know. And um, for my children, who don't understand what I'm doing, but support me anyway. (laughs) Who can't imagine that, you know, I showed one of my kids one time where I teach in one of my teaching venues, and my daughter said, Mom, I just can't imagine you sitting up there. I can only imagine you giving the Dharma at the kitchen sink. (laughs) They call me the Dhamma Mama. So, and my mother, you know, I had a lot of gratitude to her this time for giving birth to me and then for allowing me to go through my own labor pains of life so I could give birth to myself. So, it's a lot of beauty about gratitude.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.